It's time for Northwestern Outdoors Radio, the show focusing on fishing, hunting, outdoor recreation, destinations, and conservation in the region where you live and play. Northwestern Outdoors is brought to you by Max Lure Company, Sportsman's Warehouse, and Wallowa County. And now, let's see what's going on in the field and on the water with your host, John Cruz. If you're a Saturday listener tuning into our show from Wyoming, you might want to break out the fly rod and reel because today is a free fishing day in the Cowboy State. There's also no license required to fish, crab, or harvest clams in Oregon this weekend. Idaho listeners get their free fishing day next Saturday the 11th, and Sunday the 12th is a free fishing day in Washington. Not only are these free fishing days for residents of these states, but they're also for non-residents. So if you want to sample fishing in a neighboring state without ponying up the money for an out-of-state license, these are some great days to take advantage of that opportunity. It's also a great time to get someone out on the water who isn't necessarily an angler or maybe one who hasn't purchased a license in a while. Get them out there to reel in some fish and you just might provide the spark or rekindle the fire that leads to a lifetime of fishing fun. This week on Northwestern Outdoors Radio, we'll get the opportunity to chat with Sarah Dorenzo. She's the public information officer for Wyoming Game and Fish. And we'll be talking about all sorts of fishing and conservation-related news, which includes some ideas on where to go right now for some very nice-sized trout. After that, Bob Loomis joins us for an extended Max Minute to promote the Coastal Conservation Association's annual Peter Flora Memorial Salmon Derby taking place on the Columbia River near Wenatchee this month, where the big fish of the tournament will net one lucky angler $2,000. After that, we'll get Cena Wheeler on the horn. She and her husband Rich own Cena Sea Seafood, delivering wild-caught Alaskan salmon and seafood to your doorstep, and she just got back home from Alaska with a whole bunch of fresh salmon caught on the opening day of the Copper River Salmon Fishery. We are talking about sockeye and king salmon bound for the Copper River, perhaps the most prized salmon fillets in the entire world. I'm also happy to report we won some more Excellence in Craft Awards, six total actually, from the Outdoor Writers Association of America. These awards were given out for interviews in the radio and podcast category. We actually entered six categories and actually got first or second place in all six. Very humbled and happy about that. Today we'll be sharing one of those award-winning interviews with you, a conversation with cold water fish advocate John McMillan about saving our precious steelhead here in the Pacific Northwest. If you didn't hear it last year when we aired it for the first time, you'll want to catch it now. Throw in our Sportsman's Warehouse Trivia Question of the Week where you get the chance to win a $25 gift card from America's premier outfitter. And I'd say we've got a great show coming your way today. So without further ado, let's get things going as we always do with David Sparks in another edition of Sportsman Spotlight. A mystery in Colorado, David Sparks with Sportsman Spotlight. This is completely outside our normal format. Now that said, I'm including it because fellow sportsmen will probably appreciate the story as well as understand what happened. I'm going to play a couple of sound bites that I found on CNN and I want you to figure out what happened. Here we go. All of a sudden I looked up and he was looking right at me and 
grunted and then charged. And I tried to get up and he kept coming back and stomping on me. And then when I curled up forward, that's when he got me on the head. I heard, help me, help me, help me. And this lady comes running up to her house and she's covered in blood all over the arms and she's got some on her chest and she goes, he's still hurting her, he's still hurting her. Yeah, that was another stomp. If you guessed that it was an attack by a moose, you would be right. That is not all that uncommon when humans encounter moose anywhere. Not long ago, I did a story on a woman who was almost killed by a moose way up in the wilderness of Alaska. She was just hiking with her dog. In this case, two women were hiking in the city of Blackhawk, northwest of Denver, Colorado, a couple of weeks ago. Jacqueline Boren was left with staples in the back of her head, 15 stitches on her leg, and four broken ribs. Her friend was also attacked and stomped on, but not injured as badly. Some advice from Jacqueline? They are aggressive. Don't hike where you know that there's moose out there. David Sparks, Sportsman Spotlight. Enjoy a meal of wild Alaskan seafood delivered right to your door. Cena Sea offers premium quality wild Alaskan fish and shellfish to include Copper River King and Silver Salmon, Halibut, Black Cod, King Crab, and of course, Copper River Sockeye Salmon. Order it blast frozen or smoked and experience a slice of Alaska for a special meal you won't forget. Buy your seafood now at SenaSea.com. That's S-E-N-A-S-E-A, SenaSea.com. You've probably been told that to reach a millennial farmer, you have to go digital. Hmm. Facebook, Vimeo, YouTube, Instagram, Pinterest, LinkedIn, an online publication, or maybe a podcast. Hmm. But which one? Oh, and how receptive is this age group to your sales pitch during non-work social time? Maybe the best place to reach a farmer with a farming solution message is when they are, well, quite frankly, farming. You know, it's easy for us to find them during the day as most farmers are behind the wheel of a pickup truck or farm equipment with the radio on listening to this station featuring the Ag Information Network news. If you'd like to deliver information about your terrific product or service, give us a call and we'll connect you directly with our community of loyal farmer listeners. Reach real farmers right here, right now, as they listen to what is important to their farm operation. They trust us. They'll trust you. You're back in with Northwestern Outdoors Radio. I'm John Cruz. It's time to check in with Sarah Dorenzo with the Wyoming Department of Game and Fish. There's always a lot of news coming out of the Cowboy State when it comes to the outdoors, and this month is no exception. Sarah, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me. So let's talk about a few things here. Number one, this weekend, June 4th and 5th, it's a free fishing weekend in Wyoming, isn't it? Yes, free fishing day is on June 4th, so it's just one day that you can fish without a license in Wyoming. We've got some listeners in Montana and Idaho. Can they come over the border and take advantage of this too? Absolutely. Anyone can fish for free in Wyoming on free fishing day. It doesn't matter if you're a resident or not. As long as the water is you know, open for fishing publicly, you can fish there without a license. All right. Well, a lot of folks come to Wyoming to fish for trout, and you certainly have all sorts of different species of trout in Wyoming. Interesting article that popped up in your latest newsletter, and that's the fact that most of the state records, well, they've been standing for a long, long time, and some folks are wondering whether there's still big trout out there in Wyoming. 
Wyoming or whether they're just all small now? Why don't you clarify that issue? Sure. So our associate editor of Wyoming Wildlife Magazine, he took this on. His name is Robert Gagliardi, and he did an investigation into, you know, it's been a really long time since anglers broke some of these really big trout records in Wyoming. And so, you know, why is that? What's, you know, what is the forecast for breaking some of these records? You know, just to give some perspective on how old some of these are, the oldest golden trout record we have is from 1948. And uh, that is held by C.S. Reed of Omaha, Nebraska. And that's the oldest record we have on the books. And that fish is also a world record. So, like, is there any chance of breaking that? You know, that's what we're wondering. Well, I'll tell you what, an 11-pound golden trout, I think you're going to have a really hard time eating that. By the way, did C.S. Reed come over on one of those free fishing days? I don't know, but that would have been amazing, huh? But, I mean, when Robert spent some time looking into this, what our biologist told him is it's really about food resources. I mean, big fish need a lot of food resources. And so in the early days when we were, you know, starting to stock fish and more waters throughout the states, those those resources were so rich and they really thrived in those environments. And so that's what we know about how big fish grow. You know, the, the manager's forecast, there is still some possibilities for big making those records, of course. An example of that is kokanee salmon. It's a fairly new species. They're growing in popularity. We're stocking them in more places around the state that have like really, really good resources for those fish. And so there's a chance that that kokanee record could be broken in about 10 years. Continuing with big fish, you actually have a, a master angler program that recognizes anglers who catch, uh, you know, the top 5% of the 24 game species you have in Wyoming, don't you? We do. So even though people may not be breaking those records, there's still plenty of respectable sized fish throughout the state. And in the last six months, we've had seven people achieve the highest level of this program called Ultimate Anglers, where you catch 10 different species of trophy sized fish in Wyoming. And these folks are a testament that there's still a lot of big, nice fish out there. And you don't have to kill the fish. You just have to take a photo of it and you can submit that to the game and fish and we'll, you know, evaluate your application and then reward your catch. And it's a great program. We've had a lot of engagement in it. And since our launch just over um, two years ago, we've had 20 anglers achieve ultimate angler status, which is way more people than we thought. So lots of big fish out there for anglers to catch. If you do want to look for some big fish, one place to go are the Laramie Plains lakes. Now, they're near Laramie. What are the lakes in particular and what kind of fish are you going after? Sure. So there's a lot of opportunity at the Laramie Plains Lakes for big fish. This is a really, really popular place to head in the southeast corner of Wyoming. So we're looking at Lake Wiesenby Lake is producing what biologists are calling monster fish for anglers, which is very fun. Um, Those are rainbow trout, and they're saying that you can catch rainbow trout in this size from the shore. Lake Mebor has more trout exceeding 20 inches than in previous years, so that's very exciting too. And if you're heading out to Alsop Lake or Twin Buttes Reservoir, you can expect to, you know, have the opportunity to reel in some trout that are 22 inches long or greater. Well, that sounds like a wonderful opportunity to me. Are these all hatchery trout, or is this a self-sustaining population? Most of these are stocked fish, and we continue to stock them. But to get this big, they have to have a good place to grow, and so these are excellent resources there for fish to get big. Speaking of big kokanee, I know one place to find them right now is Flaming Gorge Reservoir. It's arguably the best big kokanee fishery in all of North America. Where else can folks go in the Cowboy State to find kokanee? Sure. So kokanee salmon are a landlocked salmon, so you can find those. Flaming Gorge, Fontenelle Reservoir, and other places 
away from there include Lake Fremont and Newport Lakes up around Pinedale and Lake Hattie and Rob Roy Reservoir around Laramie and then of course Alcova Reservoir near Casper. Have you had the opportunity to eat kokanee salmon before? I have eaten it. I've never caught it, and they're on my uh, you know, bucket list for sure as a, a species that I'd like to spend a lot of time pursuing this summer. Uh, folks, I'll tell you what. If you've never had kokanee salmon, you're missing out. Once you do have them, you'll want to catch them because they are absolutely delicious. They are a landlocked sockeye salmon. They just have beautiful red meat on them, and they are like the tastiest fish, especially if you cook them up on the grill. You're going to absolutely love Kokanee. So great opportunities there. You know, one other thing we should talk about is the fact that people always associate Wyoming with trout, but you've got good walleye and pike fishing there too, don't you? Yeah, we have uh, there are lots of very engaged walleye anglers in Wyoming, and you know I've never walleye fished myself, but hear lots of good things about it. And there's lots of places, lots of reservoirs throughout Wyoming where you can catch walleye. And I understand Keyhole State Park and reservoir there is probably one of the better ones for both pike and walleye. Yes, absolutely. Sticking with delicious tasting fish, uh, caring for the fish from the time you catch them that's really important. Something else covered in the latest newsletter too. Absolutely, yeah. So keeping your fish cool is the name of the game when it comes to that. You know, have a cold cooler and always make sure you can, you know, keep those fish fresh. The other tip is, you know, clean them right away. And that will also help with keeping that flavor good and preparing them for when you get home. I like to vacuum seal my fish fillets as well. I don't know if anyone else likes to do that, but it seems to, you know, lock in that flavor and then, you know, throw them in the freezer for whenever throughout the year that you're ready for them. Oh, I completely agree with you. The last story covered in the newsletter this month is Wyoming Game and Fish has teamed up with Trout Unlimited and some local students. Uh, You're actually studying trout movements in different lakes and rivers. Why don't you tell me about that project? Sure. So Game and Fish is partnering with TU, and we've radio tagged brown trout in the Green River from uh, Fontenelle Dam to the city of Green River. And we're tracking them with radio telemetry, and we want to know how they move throughout that section of the water. And so we're asking anglers who catch some of these tagged trout to just sort of marvel at them and release them if they can, because we'd like to continue that research. And we're going to be working with the classroom to track those brown trout movements for 16 months. Oh, sounds like a wonderful project. And folks that don't keep those fish, you're definitely not helping the project if you do. Like I said, there's always a lot of news coming out of the state of Wyoming. It's a great place to go fishing, great place to go hunting, just a great place to see wildlife and go visit too. Go to the Wyoming Game and Fish website to find out more and plan your visit today, whether you're fishing, hunting, or doing anything else in the outdoors. Thanks as always, Sarah. You're welcome. Thank you. Enjoy a meal of wild Alaskan seafood delivered right to your door. Sina Sea offers premium quality wild Alaskan fish and shellfish to include Copper River King and Silver Salmon, Halibut, Black Cod, King Crab, and of course, Copper River Sockeye Salmon. Order it blast frozen or smoked and experience a slice of Alaska for a special meal you won't forget. Buy your seafood now at SinaSea.com. That's S-E-N-A-S-E-A, SinaSea.com. 
Go fishing. Help salmon and make money. You can do it through September 30th by catching northern pike minnow and turning them in for cash. Here's how it works. First, register at a designated station on the Columbia or Snake River. Then, go fishing. At the end of the day, turn in any pike minnow you catch 9 inches or longer and look for the ones with tags worth 500 bucks. You'll get vouchers for those pike minnow you turn in, and you mail those in for cash. Find out more at pikeminnow.org. From a bull elk ripping a bugle across the valley to wing beats on a duck marsh, public lands and waters are integral to our outdoor heritage. Become a member of Backcountry Hunters and Anglers and stand up for our public lands and waters. Visit backcountryhunters.org today. You're back with more of the great outdoors on Northwestern Outdoors Radio with John Cruz. You know what time it is. It's time for another Max Minute brought to you every week by Max Lure. And it's also time to tell you about the Peter Floor Memorial Salmon Derby that's taking place near Wenatchee, Washington on the Columbia River that is presented by the Coastal Conservation Association. Bob, tell us more about the event. What's the day this year and how is it going to go down? Well, John, the uh, North Central Washington CCA Peter Floor Memorial Salmon Derby is going to be on July 15th and 16th. We will have a captain's meeting on the evening of the 14th down at the uh, Eagles Hall here in Wenatchee. And the next two days, people are going to fish and try to catch the biggest and the most fish that they can. We have prizes for the top five biggest fish and the top five heaviest boat weight. Let's talk a minute about Peter Floor, somebody that we both love very much. He was very dedicated to CCA. He was the man that ran this derby for years, passed away in a car accident. What else should folks know about Peter? I don't think we can say that on the radio. (laughs) (laughs) He was a funny guy with a sense of humor. That much we can say. No, Peter and I, when we first started this salmon derby, you know, we had just started CCA up here in north central Washington, started a chapter up here. And we decided that we were already putting on a banquet, but we needed to do something during the summer. We needed to get people involved. We wanted to push the CCA agenda. So we decided to start a salmon derby. And, you know, it's just basically evolved into what we have today. But originally we just had them fishing, you know, from here to Wells. And, you know, it was something that was very near and dear to Peter's heart as well as my own. And... We had a lot of fun putting this whole thing together. All right. That's a really good memory of Peter there. Again, we are talking about the annual CCA NCW Peter Floor Memorial Salmon Derby. The dates again, Friday, July 15th, Saturday, July 16th. The biggest fish is worth $2,000. The heaviest bag of fish is worth $1,500. Find out more. Sign up today at WenatcheeSalmonDerby.com. That's WenatcheeSalmonDerby.com. Game changing. That's the best way to describe the new Scent Flash UV Triangle Flasher from Max Lure Company. This 360 degree rotational inline flasher features a scent release system attracting salmon to the lure behind it like no other flasher on the market. Soak the free scent pad with any type of oil or gel, or load up the cavity with any type of bait for fishing success beyond your wildest dreams. It's the Scent Flash UV Triangle Flasher, only from Max Lure Company. 
Sportsman's Warehouse is America's premier outfitter and has what you need as a hunter, angler, hiker, paddler, camper, and outdoors enthusiast. They also carry an extensive assortment of firearms and ammunition you simply can't find anymore at many big box stores. On top of that, their knowledgeable staff is here to help you purchase the right gear so you can get the most out of your outdoor experience. Visit your local Sportsman's Warehouse store today or shop online anytime at sportsmans.com. Welcome back to Northwestern Outdoors Radio. I'm John Cruz. Our next stop, well, it's kind of a combination between the Wenatchee Valley in Washington and Cordova, Alaska, because we're talking to Cena Wheeler. Cena and her husband, Rich, they own Cena Sea Seafood. They are a sponsor of our show. They live in the Wenatchee Valley in central Washington, but uh, the processing plant where they do their fishing is up in Cordova, Alaska, and Cena was just up there fishing the opener of the Copper River Sockeye Salmon. Sina, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. First things first, I've got to thank you for bringing us that beautiful filet of Copper River Sockeye Salmon. My wife, Michelle, said it was the best salmon she's ever had in her life, despite the poor recipe I used to cook it with. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I don't think you can go wrong with that fish. (laughs) That's pretty much what she said. <laughs> you know, once we scraped <laughs> off all the breadcrumbs and all the seasoning I put on there, we just had the fish itself, and it was just absolutely delicious. Let's talk about the opening day of the Copper River Sockeye Salmon Fishery. You were there. Describe it for me. Oh, it is a big deal up in Cordova. Cordova is a sleepy little town in Alaska, no roads in, small town, and in the spring, they're the first salmon fishery. So all these fishermen come in, everybody's getting their boats ready, everybody's out on the docks, everyone's getting the nets on the boats, and it's a really exciting time to be there. And everybody, that's what Rich says, everybody's full of optimism. The week before the opener, you know, it's like the gold rush. Everybody's just hoping for full nets. And it's a really funny thing because it's like you don't get to see what's coming, how many fish are out there, how they're going to look, how big, how beautiful. You know, it's just this big unknown. So it's this real excitement around that time for the opener for sure. Well, I've got to ask, how big were they this year and, and how good was the opener this year? It was pretty good. You know, we've had some, we have ups and downs and we have some, had some tough years. Things like if it's too cold and the, it's just not time yet, things like that are difficult. But this year we had some really beautiful fish. The kings came in pretty well, which is what everybody's looking at those kings. We fish for the Copper River sockeye and the kings at the same time. They run together, but everybody's got their eye for the kings because that's the big prize and they came in really well. And they're beautiful. When we mount and caught the fish, and then we come in, and then we're cutting them all night, and they're just gorgeous. We got them down in every single box I packed. We ship out the fresh right away. I went out on the boat with Rich, and then us and the crew cuts all night. And then I brought the fish home, and then I put it in our boxes, and I'm shipping it to people's store. And I could barely keep up with getting it in boxes because I was doing and awing and taking pictures of every portion. They were so gorgeous. <laughs> The Copper River Salmon Opener, it's a big deal. I mean, Alaska Airlines has a plane. 
which has a salmon right on the side in terms of uh, its logo. And it flies down Copper River Sockeye Salmon about 17,000 pounds every May after the opener. And the high-end seafood restaurants are clamoring for these fish. I mean, it, it's, you know, this is like the most sought-after fish, I'd say, in the world, isn't it? Oh, yes. I think so, especially on a, you know, commercial scale where you can get it into restaurants. It's a really big deal. We always say Seattle loves Copper River, but so does the rest of the nation and the rest of the world. And it is that good. For one, there's two really big reasons. One is that it's the first commercial run on the planet of this spring. So if you're eating wild salmon, you haven't had fresh salmon all winter long. If you're a chef, you've been sad. (laughs) You haven't had your source. And so that's a big part of it. But the other part is these fish are just that good. They have built up a lot of omega-3s for their journey. They're big, they're fat, and they're ready to go up the Copper River. So they they have really high omega-3s. So we get a double whammy because they're the first and they're the best. And I want to talk about the fish and how you handle them, too. You're not fishing in the river. I mean, these fish haven't turned colors. The one I got was chrome bright. You're fishing for them off the mouth of the Copper River. Why don't you describe to our listeners how they're handled from the time they're brought into the boat until they arrive at their door? Yeah, we are actually fishing, um, they call it the Copper River Delta. And I mean, some people imagine a river with a net across, and it's not like that at all. It's about... 70 miles wide and it's where the ocean meets a whole bunch of sandbars and the flats they call it it's this really interesting area but it's where the the river's flowing out and the ocean's flowing in so it's this really interesting tidal mix and it's very navigationally challenging (laughs) because (laughs) of all the sandbars and where we're actually fishing most of the time I was out there with Rich was you're in ocean swells where they meet the beach or you're out, you know, a few fathoms from that, but you're definitely in the ocean fishing as they meander around looking for their favorite entrance. So that's kind of the setting of the scene. The the boats are, you know, a quarter mile away would be a close boat. So it's a very vast area. And then these fish are prized. They're coming in one at a time. So the fishermen can pull in a single fish we bleed them right away and then ice them. And it's all about that chilling right away. So these boats all have ice or refrigerated systems. And everybody prides themselves on quality in this fishery. And because they really do come over the rails one at a time, you can care for every fish. And that is a, another big part of why they're such high quality. We've got to talk about how you package these fish because you <laughs> truly handle them with care. Yes, absolutely. And that's kind of what we're all about at Sea to Sea and then our processing facility, 60 North Seafoods. It's all about taking this precious resource and then handling it with the care it deserves on a smaller scale. So we have the fishermen are fishing till eight at night and then the fish come in. And then we have the crew, while we're fishing, the crew is sleeping. (laughs) (laughs) And then in the night, the crew gets up and starts processing the fish, uh, filleting out the fish. And then for the fresh, we vacuum seal with a really special cryovac bag that allows a little bit of oxygen transfer and keeps it really fresh. And then we also have premium frozen vacuum sealing. So we have two different processes for fresh and frozen. We do the fresh just two weeks out of the year to celebrate the opener and then we switch over to our premium freezing process which is also 
fantastic, and it keeps the fish really premium for a year frozen, which is really fantastic. Oh, I can vouch for that. Having eaten some of those (laughs) flash-frozen salmon, I can definitely vouch for that. One other thing I want to talk about is the fact that, you know, Cena Sea Seafood is really into sustaining salmon fisheries, and I understand a, a portion of the proceeds from the sales of these salmon goes to the Copper River watershed and conservation. Yeah, and I should say the whole fishery is about sustainability. And, you know, fishermen do understand that if you want to keep fishing, we have to have fish for the next generation, and that's just the way it is. So it really, sometimes people are surprised to hear that. Sustainability is very much a part of a fishing family and lifestyle, and we've chosen to take it one step further. It's really important to us that Cena Sea do even more, and so we connected with the Copper River Watershed Project, and I love working with them because they're a local boots on the ground in the Copper River Watershed, so it's the very waters that we fish, and they do really important, but just this kind of overlooked things like taking tiny little culverts that and turning them into big huge culverts you know culverts aren't very exciting to talk about but it makes a huge difference for the salmon fry and their migration so they do the the boring but important (laughs) work and they work on the entire copper river from the delta all the way up so they do all kinds of necessary um, restoration projects so we just love working with them Well, I'm glad you do. It speaks well of your company. And folks, if you want to buy some of the best-tasting salmon in the entire planet, go to SenaSea.com. That's S-E-N-A-S-E-A, SenaSea.com. Look for the Copper River Sockeye Salmon. It's available now. It's absolutely delicious, and you could have it at your door in just a couple of days. Again, cnasea.com is the place to go to. Use the promo code Outdoors Radio for 10% off your entire order, and enjoy some delicious salmon from the Copper River in Alaska. Cena, thanks so much for sharing this with us today on Northwestern Outdoors Radio. Thanks for having me. I'm glad you're back because we're going to re-air an interview that just won an Excellence in Craft Award in the radio podcast category for Conservation in Nature from the Outdoor Writers Association of America, one of six awards. I am humbled and proud to say that our shows took home this year. back in with Northwestern Outdoors Radio. I'm John Cruz. Our next topic is the steelhead. It's the state fish for Washington State. It's a fish I truly love. I have fished for them many a year, at least I used to until recent years, where the numbers have gotten so low that many of the favorite rivers I love to fish, well, they're just not open for steelhead anymore. And it's not just where I live in north central Washington. Steelhead numbers are on the decline through much of the northwest. With us here to tell you more about this issue and some things that are being done to address it is John McMillan, the science director for the Wild Steelhead Initiative. John, it's great to have you on the show. 
Yeah, well, thank you for inviting me, John. I uh, always wish we were meeting with, you know, better news, but I sure appreciate it. Well, let's start off by breaking down the situation in our Pacific Northwest states. And we'll start off in Washington state, where a number of regulations were ruled out this year on some of our Olympic Peninsula rivers, as well as our South Coast rivers, where you can't even fish from a boat anymore. And right. it's selective regulations. I mean, the numbers have really gone down through Washington state, haven't they? They have. Our state fish, right? I mean, I, I was born and raised in Washington, and, you know, I have a long history here. My great-grandfather was born and raised in Oregon City there on the Clackamas. And so, man, a long history here, and it's sure it's been a, a couple trying years, I think, for a lot of folks in Washington. John, you know, I mean, it seems like a lot of the populations of both wild and hatchery steelhead that we have in Washington have been really struggling the past four to five years. They really have. And you can't just say it's Columbia River steelhead. It's steelhead throughout the state. It's getting to the point. I am really starting to wonder, especially in in Washington State, if we're going to lose this battle, if we're going to lose the steelhead as a species we can fish for anymore. Yeah, I worry about that, too. I mean, and and that's the main reason that I've kind of shifted in my life back and forth from being a research scientist at times to then going back to advocate, you know, because I think it's a challenge, you know, on one hand, the science is really important. But on the other hand, my goal as an angler is I want to wake up, you know, one morning when I'm 75 years old and be pretty sure that the next generation of kids are going to be able to fish for steelhead, Amen. you know, because that's the way I grew up. And, and I feel that connection to nature and outdoors is critical to the culture of the Pacific Northwest. I agree completely. Let's move to Idaho, which is kind of a mixed bag, because on the one hand, you've got those huge Clearwater steelhead, the B-run steelhead that get up to 20 pounds, and that fishery seems to be doing okay, but you've got other steelhead runs that are heading up the Columbia, then up the Snake and up the Salmon. Those numbers are way down. Yeah, I think Idaho, you know, Washington and Idaho are kind of in a unique position because, and and I'll mention this a little bit, is that, you know, in places like many rivers in Oregon and California, agencies don't have enough staff to actually measure or count the size of the steelhead runs in individual watersheds. So Washington and Idaho are pretty unique in that we actually have pretty good data. And of course, you know that we have good data in the Columbia, right, because of the dams. And so, yeah, Washington, you know, the populations have been struggling the past few years. And then Idaho, too. And I think even those bee runs have not been doing as well as people would hope. It was just, I think, a year or two ago, right, when the run was really small. And and perhaps the scary thing for next year is that my friends that study steelhead my scientific colleagues that are studying steelhead in the Columbia are saying that they're seeing very few one salt fish show up to their southwest Washington streams this past summer, suggesting that next year's return of two salt fish will probably not be very good. So oh boy. whatever problem we're having in the North Pacific, because I do think this is a bit broader pattern because even the steelhead populations in the Skeena have been struggling the past few years to having really, really low run sizes, even for them. Let's talk about the state of Oregon. There seems to be better news there, especially when you look at some of the the southern rivers like the Umpqua and the Rogue River and the Chetco. Steelhead populations seem to be pretty healthy. I know they've not been having banner years on, you know, rivers like the Clackamas or the Sandy or the Willamette. But but even there, things seem to be better than they are to their neighboring state in the north Washington and the urban centers. Yeah. And I think one of the things I have to be careful of is 
we as anglers tend to be really good at catching fish, so we can kind of catch fish in almost all the years, bad ones or good ones. And Oregon's in a tough spot because, you know, in places in the Columbia, they do measure population size. But when we get out to Tillamook, you know, from that kind of north coast all the way down to the Chetco and Winchuck, most of those rivers, the agency has really never measured how many fish exist in any individual population, which makes it really tough. So you, you might be catching a lot of fish, but we're never sure how many are there. But I do think you raise a good point, John, that once we get down to about the Umpqua River, and the Umpqua has a really long record of data for steelhead and that population has remained relatively stable since the 1950s so it's been doing fairly well and there might be something different because fish in the southern oregon northern central california tend to go to a different place in the ocean than our steelhead further north do i was going to ask about that and that makes perfect sense as for the the cause of steelhead decline in the northwest i mean you and i both know and so do most of our listeners that it's not just one issue. You can't just say it's the Lower Snake River dams. I mean, there's lots of dams that cause problems. There's habitat degradation, especially in urban areas. There's the predation of smolt that are going out to sea. There's the predation of adults that are trying to come back. You've got non-selective fishing methods like gill netting. These all affect steelhead numbers. However, there have been a couple of bright notes in recent years, and one of them is the Oregon Broodstock Program. Uh, That seems to be helping some of the rivers down there. Why don't you explain exactly what the state of Oregon is doing and what a broodstock program is? Sure. So a broodstock program, there's generally what we call two types of hatchery programs for steelhead and salmon. And and one is kind of the traditional approach that people use for a long time, like our Chambers Creek or Skamania steelhead programs, where they actually take a population of fish, a small number from some watershed, and then they just rear them in hatcheries, right? But then they plant those in different rivers everywhere. You know, we kind of do a Johnny Appleseed, you know, we'll, right. we'll take like the Scamania fish, for example, are mostly from my home river on the Washougal, right? And then a combination of with some fish from the Klickitat. And so, you know, those will get spread out. We call those in a segregated hatchery because what we do is we never take in wild fish to breed in that hatchery, right? So the, the hatchery fish from these segregated programs tend to have you know, they do really poorly in the wild in terms of spawning, right? Because they've been domesticated in a hatchery for a long time. Doesn't mean they don't provide fish that are important for fisheries. Now, on the Oregon coast, they tend to go a slightly different route, which is using what we call kind of a wild broodstock program or an integrated program. And that's where they actually take wild fish out of the river and then bring some of those into the hatchery to produce offspring. And generally, those fish have higher survival rates from smolt to adult than the traditional kind of, you know, segregated programs that we've used. One other thing I'd like to mention are the efforts by some of our tribes in the Northwest to bring back steelhead. The Nez Perce tribe in particular did something really interesting a couple of years back where they got Celts. Those are the steelhead that have already spawned. They're heading back. In this case, they trapped them at one of the dams on the Lower Snake River put them in a hatchery and then released them in the Snake River. And they expected about a 20% improvement in returns because of this program. Are there some other tribal initiatives going on too we should talk about? 
Yeah, you know, that's a great call. So, John, I think that program was started with the Yakima Nation. Geez, and it might go back like 15, 16 years at this point. It's that old, you know, where they're trying to recondition post-spawn steelhead, often females, you know, and then let them go after they've kind of given them a whole bunch of food so they can regenerate their fat stores and start to grow eggs. And so I think those are cool programs to experiment with. And my only reminder to folks, though, is that I tend to view management through the lens of a portfolio, right? We have some rivers that are really important kind of intact places, relatively speaking. Then we have on the other extreme, some places that are really altered. And so I always go back to the amount of technological fix I think that we need depends on the conditions of the river. And I just always want to remind our anglers that we've relied on technology for a long time. And sometimes it works, but a lot of times it doesn't work, you know? And so I always want to be cautious because I think that we don't have a lot of data on the Oregon Coast programs, for example. While we do have a lot of data on these programs for kelp reconditioning that suggest it really is helping those fish. So as a scientist, I'm always going back and forth, you know, trying to figure out what can we do for anglers, but what do we need to do from a scientific perspective to kind of make sure we still have some of our best last wild places. So I think you raise a couple of ideas, and I like these discussions because I think these are the types of discussions that anglers need to have. We are out of time, but I want to continue this discussion next week, and I want to talk about something that's been rolled out by the Puget Sound Steelhead Advisory Group called the Quicksilver Portfolio that seems to hold a lot of promise but is already running some roadblocks. Would you mind coming back next week to continue this little chat? Uh, It would be wonderful, John. I sure appreciate it. All right. That's John McMillan, Trout Unlimited, Science Director for the Wild Steelhead Initiative. Be sure to tune in next week, and we'll talk more about steelhead and efforts to save them. Thanks, John. Thank you, John. Want to go fishing and make money? You are in luck. This year's Pike Minnow Sport Reward Fishery kicks off May 1st. Just register at a check station and go fishing for 9-inch or longer northern pike minnow within designated waters of the Columbia or Snake River. Then you bring your fish back and collect a voucher good for a cash reward. The more fish you catch, the more they're worth. Catch a pike minnow with a special tag and you've landed 500 bucks. Find out more at pikeminnow.org. That's pikeminnow.org. Located in the northeast corner of Oregon, Wallawa County offers a unique destination rich in natural beauty and outdoors recreation. Enjoy the clear waters of Wallawa Lake. Take a tram to the top of Mount Howard for million-dollar views. Hike or ride into the Eagle Cap Wilderness and fish or raft the Wallawa and Grand Ronde Rivers. It's all waiting for you in beautiful Wallawa County. Plan your visit today at WallawaCountyChamber.com. That's WallawaCountyChamber.com. Sportsman's Warehouse is America's premier outfitter, full of the gear you need to succeed this hunting season. Firearms, ammo, archery equipment, decoys, clothing, boots, and more. You'll find it all at Sportsman's Warehouse. Better still, the knowledgeable staff can help you with tips and in-store seminars, all designed to help you bag a trophy or a limit. Find a location near you or shop online today at sportsmans.com. From a bull elk ripping a bugle across the valley to wing beats on a duck marsh, Public lands and waters are integral to our outdoor heritage. Become a member of Backcountry Hunters and Anglers and stand up for our public lands and waters. Visit backcountryhunters.org today.
we've got time for one more shot of Northwestern Outdoors Radio with John Cruz. Welcome back. Father's Day is coming up soon, and if your father loves the outdoors, the place to go to find a present for him is Sportsman's Warehouse. Whether you are looking for a new fishing rod, maybe a compound bow, maybe some optics like a spotting scope or binoculars, a canoe or a kayak, a propane grill or a pellet grill, or just outdoors apparel to include hiking and hunting boots, they've got it all. So drop in today or shop online anytime at all at sportsmans.com. Your dad will thank you for it. And now it's time for your Sportsman's Warehouse trivia question of the week. And sticking with boots, Danner boots are found in Sportsman's Warehouse stores too. And this company, which has been around since 1932, is well known for their high quality boots made for hunters, hikers, and the workplace right here in the Northwest. Here's your question. What city and state does Danner boots call home? I can tell you they've got a nice retail store near the airport of this town, and you can often get some good deals on discontinued or clearance items if you drop by there. Just a little insider advice. As for the question, though, if you know the answer, you know what to do. Go to our Facebook page at Northwestern Outdoors Radio. If you haven't already, please like and follow it. That helps us out a bit. And then give us your answer. Let us know the city and state that Danner Boots calls home. If you don't do Facebook, just shoot us an email through our website at northwesternoutdoors.com. It's time to wrap things up, but I hope you have a great weekend. I know I'm going to be spending part of it with my best friend, Rusty Johnston, in our bass boat on Potholes Reservoir in eastern Washington as we bring Hannah Pennebaker on board from Northwest Fishing to see if we can find some hungry bass and walleye. Until next time, do take care, God bless, and make it a point to spend some time outdoors. 